millennials, yeah, we back at it again. Versus the world, you know that we gon' win. Right by my side, got my family and kin. Go, K-Dot. man, this podcast is tough. K-Dot like Giannis, he keep it above. Millennials up and we ain't getting stuck. No, they ain't ready, you think we gon' stop? Maryland and D.C., we got it on lock. Tune in, we live, and you know we the spot. Panels and parties, you know how we rock. Uh, millennials versus the world. Millennials versus the world. Millennials versus the world. Millennials versus the world. What up, good people? Welcome back to another episode of the Millennials vs. the World podcast. So at this point, you've checked out some of the dope people on the Wellness Project. You've been rocking for a long time. Y'all already know this the only spot you get authenticity and entertainment at the same time. So who I have now, she was so, she blessed me with being a part of the project. Such a dope soul, such a dope individual. Energy is on 10,000. Transparency <laughs> is on 10,000. Literally the definition of authenticity uh, just thankful to have her on, doing some really big things in her space. She's being a super, super dope advocate for, you know, mental health, awareness, uh, all the above, man. So, Dr. Vivid, appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much for being on the pod. Oh, man. Thank you so much for just thinking of me. I appreciate just being in your energy. So, I'm, I'm here. I'm here. For sure, for sure. So, before we get too deep in the story, just how has, even though I know we kind of wrapped off camera, how has it been since the last, your last couple of months this year how's that been in general how have you been i have been blessed booked and busy um and unbothered uh so <laughs> i'm working on a lot of projects with some brand partners i'm working on a lot of keynotes i have a couple of uh, conferences i'm preparing for and just being a mom has sure. been quite fun the last couple of weeks traveling moving things around but you know mental health awareness month is may so this is one of my busiest months so i but i'm i love the busyness because it means that people are getting a slice of awareness every time i step out so that's what's been going on with me how you doing you know same same i've been blessed to meet all the people on this project just like you said parenting my son is finally like like kind of in a groove on a schedule we can have fun together we go on our walk so like kind of like you said parenting has been really good uh blessed with with, with my podcast with, with the media things I'm doing my brand everything has been really good my you know being an educator get that first year after this pandemic when these babies been out has been like super super different I'm gonna say so mm-hmm. getting to the end of that kids you know kind of realigning before they go to high school it's been good everything's been good you know it's been a it's been a, a physical energy struggle readjusting after the pandemic commuting stuff like that so but every everything has been good everything's been good i appreciate you asking so before we get into you know the great things you are doing now let's kind of let's kind of go back to like you know how you came up before you became dr vivid just kind of take us back to your upbringing some of the things that you know were big parts of your life that is just kind of take us back to that place well for sure so i am well, people know me as Dr. Vivid, but my name is Ashley Elliott. My mother would say, I, I, Dr. Ashley Elliott. So I gotta tell <laughs> so. I gotta let my mom know. So I'm, I'm DC born and raised. I'm currently still living in the city, um, Northeast DC. All my life, I've just been in love with my city, but also been aware of the struggles that take place in my city, whether it's poverty, homelessness, mental health, substance abuse, um, violence, all of those things I've always been tapped in because I've seen them up front. You know, I've, I started having my first run-ins with the police at about four and a half years old. Um, I started, you know, paying bills for adults at seven. Um, so 
I've always been surrounded by adults who are trying to figure the world out. And that has compelled me to want to help people. Um, I started going to therapy when I was four because of my own trauma. Um, so I have, um, I am the survivor of physical, sexual, mental, verbal abuse. And it, it definitely took a toll on me in my childhood, but also really lit a fire under me to find other people who may have these connections to some of these traumas and talk with them so they can learn how to heal. So that's, that's literally been my journey. Four to seven, ex- deciding I wanted to be a clinical, well, deciding I wanted to be a psychologist. At 11, deciding they wanted to be clinical psychology and just running. Um, I eat, breathe, you know, sleep, helping, healing. And that's just me. Other than that, I'm just a little five, two, little brown girl with bright hair, lots of tattoos. And they, they like to chill. I love my go-go music. I love my trap music. I love some country now. Some oh, okay. 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 All those things, you know, very eclectic taste. Okay. Um, okay. But everything, you know, I'm, I'm a true city girl, you know, walking around talking, there's no place in this city that I don't feel comfortable that I can't sh- strike up a conversation whether it be the ups driver or the, the trap boys like no. the, the pastor or the janitor like no. the ceo or the person that's cleaning the windows that's just my how my soul connects with people and that's me just you know being a clinician being a mom being a, a motivational speaker and author and also being a person who's very aware of their own mental health needs. That's just Dr. Vivid in the bubble, you know? Dope, dope, dope. I want to ask something real quick, because I know we spoke about this before, but mm-hmm. I remember you saying your first experiences going to therapy when you were young. Mm-hmm. What was it like going when it wasn't cool yet? Like, mm-hmm. what was it like, you know, you know, we still think therapy ain't the coolest thing now. We breaking that stigma now, but like during those times, what was it like? you know, being a part of therapy, did it help you? And I know it kind of contributed to you deciding to be a therapist yourself. So can you kind of expand on that? Oh, absolutely. And I, the funny thing about it is, even though to other family members or to other people in the community, therapy wasn't a thing. It was like, why are you airing out your business? My mother never approached it that way. And no. a lot of people have to understand, my mother had me when she was 18, 19 years old. So four years from now, she's like, you know, in her early 20s, deciding that because of the things that, her daughter a witness and the things that she had gone through that it was best for her to talk to somebody. Now, my first therapy experiences were absolute basura trash. <laughs> um, I had, had my, my, it was, it's funny how you change, you change trash into treasure, you know? So my first uh, psychologist was an older black man who just wanted me to lie and just like gave me candy and tried to like create stories about my trauma that weren't real. And as I'm an adult, I know what he was doing. He was trying to find something that suited his treatment style, his intervention style, Mm -hmm. and push me into a certain way because into a certain um, narrative that would be easier for him to, to pick apart. And, but that's not what he was doing. He was making me lie, making me uncomfortable um, with his questioning. So I told my mom and she was like, absolutely not. The next therapist, bless my mom's heart because she just knew. Cause at first I think because she was young and I was young, she was thinking, well, maybe she playing a game and she not really, you know, she getting over. So she got me this older white woman and I repeat it as many times. That lady did not like kids and she definitely didn't like black kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And she was just really mean and made me feel mm-hmm. really small and minimized. And you got to mm-hmm. remember, I, let me reiterate, I'm like four and a half. That's crazy. Yeah. So for an adult to make a child that young feel so, I would say I did feel disrespect, but I didn't know how to verbalize and vocalize at the time. But mm-hmm. I know she was just making me feel bad about the things that I were I was going through. And she was telling me that I was lying about the real trauma that I had gone through because no one could believe that I had lived the life that I lived that for. (laughs) That's that's crazy. It was wild. And I remember leaving the therapy um, office, going to the lobby. It's so fresh. It's so funny because that was 30 years ago. Um, Crying and telling my mom, like, nobody should feel like this. You told me that people are supposed to make you feel safe and she didn't make you feel safe. And, you know, my mom did her best to comfort me and console me. But the thing I said before I left that office, if there are other kids that feel like me, I want to make sure that other kids don't have to feel like this. When I get big, I'm going to make sure other kids don't feel like this. And that's how I've been running with it ever since. That's dope. So so with that, because a lot of us don't know what we don't want to do, even when we get into our early, you know, we graduate high school, trying to figure it out. What did that one feeling literally keep you? eye on the prize the entire time until you was able to get into the space you are now because a lot of us feel that we want to be doctors we want to be this and we switch up as you know experiences happen so what never made you move away from that goal that mission to help from such a young age to now that's funny you say that okay so when people were first asked me what I wanted to do I wanted to be a police officer right and my mom my mom because mind you I have to remind my mom had me young so it prefaces and the way my mom and me converse with each other is a little different than your normal the parent child situation where you're average right yeah, I got so i said i want to be a police officer she said for what in my mind helping protect people because i'm yeah. seeing in early 90s dc she said you know police officers get shot back at i said oh can't do that um <laughs> And I I decided, you know, again, with the therapy thing. And then I said, I'm really in the creative arts. That's another love of mine. I'm a writer um, and I do visual art. And my mom is an artist too. She's a creative writer as well outside of her her profession. She's in uh, the beauty industry. And (laughs) I said, I'm gonna make, I'm gonna be an artist, mommy. And she said, again, preface this with my mom being young, but being real. Artists don't get recognized until they die. Oof. That's a fact, though. That, that that's, that's a harsh truth right there. Yeah. And I was like, what? And she said, well, if you want to impact people, do it while you're living. Mm. And I stayed. So that made me stay on the track mm. of psychology. But also, again, I'm growing up in the 90s and the 2000s. So mm. I've seen crack epidemic. I've seen the riots. I've seen mm. homelessness. I've seen race riots. I've seen part of my city been burned down. I've seen mm. all of these things. Um, one of my first early interactions with police was one of the former police chiefs of DC was a, a discrimination dispute. She just walked up on two gay black men and let her officers beat them and throw bleach on them. And that made me be ter- terrified of gay men for three years. Cause not because I thought they would do something to me, but I thought, well, if any times a gay man is around, that means something bad going to happen to them. Um, mm-hmm. So I had that. The first time I had a gun pulled in my, pulled on me wasn't from a trap, dude. It was from a, a I was seven. And it was a police officer telling me to put my hands up while I was trying to put my little brother in the car seat. So yeah, all of these things For sure. have pushed me because I'm like, if this is going on with me and I'm talking about things in school and elementary, middle school, high school, and, and a lot of my friends having a similar experience, but no adults 
are checking in with us mm-hmm. or the young adults are just like told to buck it up. And that really is what pushed me like the, mm-hmm. the acknowledgement that we are being ignored, especially as black folk, we are being sure. ignored. We're just constantly having to be dealing with trauma and no one is checking in with us. And I wanted to be the person that not just check in, but helps you process and help you on your road to healing. For sure. Dope, dope, dope. I wanted to ask this. Sorry, this popped up in my head. Because it seems like your experience is like mentally matured you further than your peers around you. Did you feel different coming up? Did you feel oh. different because you were so, yeah, you were advanced. You know what I'm saying? Mentally, you've been through things that part of your peers and experience. Did you feel different when you were, when you were coming up? All the time. I used to feel, I used to describe it as being weird um my teachers even noticed it too like mm-hmm. uh, they you this air of like forced maturity is what I would say it was mm-hmm. um you know I didn't want to play during I would play occasionally during recess but I would like to sit in journal I was in the, the librarian was my friend uh I would go and sit what other what who how else could you describe it as weird I was so in tune with my emotions that I'm sitting with the 50 something year old librarian talking about Edgar Allan Poe eating a cheese sandwich. Oh yeah. You know, like I was, yeah, that was me. You know, I was the kid that if kids were fighting or somebody was bullying, I was the kid that's not nothing. If you buck. And I was like, what you fighting them for? Like, what's going on? Like I was that kid. And also I was a kid that just, because there were so many things going on with me, and mm-hmm. I was very, I was always, I'm to my own home. I've always been a very smart kid. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of people would ignore um, a lot of the emotional outbursts I would have. Or if I was like, now I know it's dissociating. Back then, teachers would say I was daydreaming. Oh, um, yeah. And so it was, it was a lot different for me. And my mom saw it. And mm-hmm. teachers would say things, not in a negative manner, but like, she's different than the rest of these kids or she is something about her and I I used to internalize it as something bad though Mm. like oh I'm smart but also kids connect with me but I I connected with adults more and it made me feel like an outsider but it also exposed me to how adults think about kids and how adults process their problems so it was a blessing and a curse being advanced but, you know, I wouldn't change who I am for anything because it's it's set up the structure for how I give back to other people. Yeah, that's and, and it's crazy you say that, because I always think about now seeing kids now and the kids that that, you know, you could tell they feel different or viewed as different. You don't see a lot of kids make it out of that. Not and not saying they don't become something. I'm saying they minimize their differentness instead of utilizing it to be something else you know what i mean like a lot and i'm saying i'm just saying different because i don't like to put a good or bad on different but like we now in the culture you know how social media makes us all feel like there's this one prize that we all trying to get to this that and the third so from that age to now what makes you continue to step into your uniqueness instead of dimming that light because a lot of people will dim the light to spit in what makes you not do that from then all the way up until now. If I'm not authentically myself, how can other people feel safe around me? If if I don't walk my walk and walk in my truth, how can other people, especially clinically or my tribe or my friends and my family, how can they feel comfortable in their truth? If I'm in essence a role model, I always felt like 
I never connect with fake energy. Um, and not in an elitist, pretentious way, but I could always feel like this isn't who you are. I want to know who you are. And even if it's different than other people, I still respect it. I still want to know what makes you tick, what makes you cry, what makes you smile, what your true thoughts are, like what your style is like. My mom, um, we grew up in a, with a very, even though my mom was young, mm -hmm. she was wise. So she will always, even if something was different or she felt like I might get made fun of or, you know, uh, the way I express myself was different to other kids. She never toned it down. She never, she always said, well, does it feel good to you? Does it, if it's about you. And another thing that she always told me is um, fake is hard. It is, bro. She bro, said fake is hard. Because if you're, that means you're a, you're lying. And she says this constantly to this day. If you lie, you have to create other lies to sustain that lie. And that takes so much energy. And could you do that for the rest of your life? Absolutely no. not. No way. No way. So I, I promise you, we're going to get, we're going to get to the, to the, to the, but you just keep saying stuff that make me think of, think of other questions. Um, two, two parts. I'm going to ask the, I'm going to ask the first one. Then I'll ask the second one. Okay. Uh, was it hard maintaining friends? always been kind of more mature, always been quote unquote, I'm gonna say unique. I don't like using different being unique. Was it hard maintaining friends throughout? Or was it kind of like the ones you locked in with? They knew who you were. They knew Ashley. So it was like when everything else came, they already knew who Ashley was. How was that? I would say hard, yes and no. So for okay. a good part of my um, childhood from elementary school until middle school, I was bullied um, because I, first of all, like I say, I'm five two now. I had to grow into that baby. I didn't become five two until I was 19 years oh, old. Got you. So I'm this tiny girl that had my when did I get my glasses? I didn't get my glasses to high school, but mm -hmm. I'm this tiny girl um that wears whatever she wants to wear. Then my mom had this whole era in elementary school. We weren't required to wear uniforms, but she would make me wear uniforms, which I was like, why? Nobody else is wearing this. Yeah. She's like, so cute. I'm like, you're making them look at me more. Um, but, so I have friends that were just attracted to my energy and I was attracted to theirs mm -hmm. because we were bonding through a lot of the sim similar stories. Like my best friend in the whole wild world, we've been friends since I, we always joke three and a half since I first laid eyes on her. That's been my girl, That's you know? Um, and there are other people who have like come and gone and I realized that it was, it was okay. Um, after I stopped getting bullied, I, I had one incident. My bully just decided it was best to just be cool with me. Um, because like people would like push me off swings. They would just hit me. They would just say mean things to me. And mind you, I'm chilling. Yeah, for sure. That's crazy. Right. So I had to, in middle school, God rest his soul. Um, the thing that made me change and picking my friends and checking my energy and, you know, disconnecting and being like, all right, everybody does that. Now I say as an adult, I'm not everybody's cup of tea, but I'm somebody, a couple people's nice shot of tequila. Actual, but, loved it. Loved it. Right. But yeah. as an, a child, I didn't understand it. But when I got my last bullying incident, my, my, um, my cousin, Nathan, um, he's like a couple months older than me. I remember him walking down the hallway and saying, if you don't stand up for yourself now, you'll be sitting down for the rest of your life. And I'm like, who says this at 12 years old to another 12 year old? But he was right. Yeah. And he was like, 
I can't all because he is my bodyguard, baby. He said you said his cousin name, he'll roll up on you. His name oh, yeah. rolled in the street. So he, yeah. he he's he liked the tussle. Oh yeah. Um, got to have so one. Got to you have, gotta one. have it for you. And yeah. after that moment, I heard him say that, and my bully like threw something. I think this boy threw a chair at me. And the teacher just let it rock. And I was like, oh, okay. And so I continued to sit down. I picked up a desk and threw it and like <laughs> it went off and went yes. on this tangent. My words have always been more lethal than they think. But it was a tangent of reading this little boy for filth, not cussing, not doing that, but and been letting you know, like, baby, if you do this, I'm gonna put my foot on the gas every day you say something to me. And oh, it, yeah. everything changed mm-hmm. from that moment. People were like, once she stood up for herself, but two. Did you hear the words she was saying to you? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, mess with me again. It could come for you too. I'm gonna light you up. Yeah. So by the time I got to high school, I learned how to perfect the comeback. Oh yeah. So oh, yeah. you're not gonna join on me because I'm gonna light you up. But you gotta, so, you gotta have that stick center in the city. We joining each other for fun, you know, yeah. playing the dozens, whatever you want to call it. But during that time, I realized that picking my mom said something to me too. She said when she was in elementary school, middle school, this girl came to her and said, French, you need to learn how to pick and choose. So in high school, I really started aligning myself with people who we identify with each other, but we understood and accepted each other. And it wasn't trying to like mold us into different things. It wasn't trying to be clicky or fatty. We just we're cool with knowing each other's truth. Mm-hmm. And that's how it's been ever since, you know? Like I got, I have acquaintances, people I'm cool with, friends, and I have a tribe. That's and so I had so. to learn how to do that as I was older. And that's really what maintains me to this day. And that's so real. I, I've, I'm like, I didn't, I'm like you, I've had that, but I didn't know what it was until I was older. Mm-hmm. Like, it's okay, not everybody's not your friend. Mm-hmm. There's certain people for certain things. Everything that you do with this one person doesn't mean you go do with this person. So I'm completely with that. And then, so one other question that I had. So I heard you say, talk about being authentic, you know, people's energy, being able to read through their energy. So through your gift and experiences and then through your studies, how often do you run into people who you don't see being their authentic self? Like it's always like a, a you know what I'm saying? Always something here versus themselves. So through, you know, the gift that I believe you have and through your studies, uh, like and as in studies, meaning like learning what it is, how many people do you run into that's not their authentic self? On a regular basis, it's everyday thing. I can't even count. And oh, it's something wow. that I talk to with my clients all the time. And it's not that people are not being their authentic selves because they desire to be fake. It's that they haven't had the safety. You know, mm-hmm. someone has said, why would you do that? Why you want to, why you want to dress this way? Or you, you think you can be in that club or you're not smart enough. You're not tough enough. You're not fast enough or have just convinced them that a familial path, like a family path is what's for them. I mean, lawyers that I know that don't want to be lawyers, but it's because their family told them they had to do how many doctors that I know that don't want to be doctors. I know so many people or people that were in, I'm in law school, I'm in undergrad, I'm in this, I'm in that. What are you pursuing this? Why? Because that's what my family wants me to do. And uh-huh. that's not being your authentic self. Or I see wives and husbands that desire to expand a business or um, 
be who they are authentically in their sexual preferences and their sexuality and their intimacy. And they feel like they can't be their authentic self because they'll be judged. It'll be frowned upon as taboo. Like, so every day I meet people, I meet children whose families are like, I don't have the resources for you to get the things that will make you feel authentically safe. Mm. So I have to be this person until I can get out of this environment. So it's an everyday thing. And sometimes I have a moment where I'm not slipping out of my authentic self. I forget who I am because I am doing so much for other people. Oh, wow. Mm. wow. Can, can you, can, hey, look, you know how, you know how we do now. You know, you're getting <laughs> me to rolling now. I promise you, because I just want, I just want everybody to hear like how she just said, like, basically I'm, I'm saying this, like, yeah, I give people grace because it's not, they're not always in the space to be who they believe to be. So can you kind of tap into like what realigns you when you when you feel like you forget who you are and you feel like, you know, what I'm saying like, you know, I know you know who you are. You know what you do. But like what realigns you? What happens to let you know, like, mm, I'm not walking in my energy right now. What what realigns you? The energy piece. I, I, I'm a real big empath. So mm-hmm. I pick up on other people's energy, but there's something in I, I kind of call it like an internal meter. Um, when I'm low or depleted mm-hmm. and I don't feel it like build back up, I know I'm not authentically making moves that I need to make, or I'm, and it's, it's more minimizing myself or stopping myself from mm-hmm. doing things I need to do and fill me up spiritually, authentically, or, you know, organically in order to help people up and fill them up. And it's, it's a feeling of emptiness. And, um, you know, one of the things I'm, I'm a very spiritual person, not religious person. So if I don't practice like some of the things as far as like grounding myself, praying, breathing, doing my cleansing rituals, like today I came from church. Um, that's how I like release things. So I have the space for me because I, I call it, <clears throat> Okay, so you 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 a podcaster? You do this like you know how you edit things and you hear your voice, mm-hmm. and you're like mm, levels off, yes. and you like adjust it. Mm-hmm. I have that God. running all day. Dope. So like if I can't hear myself clearly, or if I can't hear, we have a uh, some of us have a visual narrative, and some of us have an auditory narrative where like the voice that kind of like talks helps you talk to, and some people just see images. I'm the girl that has the voice. Yeah. I can't hear that voice. I know I'm not moving authentically. That means there are too many voices. There are too many people. There are too many things that I'm putting on my plate that are not allowing me to move in the way I'm suffocating. I'm stuffy. And when I can't hear my voice, I got to move immediately because if I can't hear my voice, that means I'm not saying what needs to be said. Mm-hmm. That means I am not doing the things that I've spoken because if I can't hear myself, I don't believe it. Mm. So I, I have to do things. Sometimes it's disconnecting. Um, and it's funny that you said, you, you asked me that because I posted a TikTok about it. I'm about to post it to Instagram. And when I'm done here with you, I, one of the things my grandmother did was, um, you know, when you graduate, they give you the cards with your name on it to put into your invitation. So she saved it. And she said, I just want you to remember who you are. So sometimes when I can't hear my voice and I need to realign, I literally say my first, middle, and last name aloud to remember who I am. And I repeat it emphatically with umph. Mm-hmm. So I can trigger myself into being like, girl, what you doing? 
remember who you are and don't you ever forget it and and that's what i do to realign that's beautiful that is beautiful i so what makes have you always been in a space to unapologetically do what you need to do for yourself in order to pay to, to help others or did you have to learn that you have to have some selfishness in order to come back to your selflessness well, i'm a reformed people pleaser um, oh wow as am i I'm a reformed people pleaser. So I I would say in my 20s, um, I really stepped into myself unapologetically. This is like Mm -hmm. grad school time. No, undergrad grad school time. Mm -hmm. Um, When I felt like an adult uh, and I felt like I was in charge of my life. Mm -hmm. And it made me move unapologetically because guess what? This is the first time in my life that I get to make the decisions, call the shots and do the things that make me feel good without having to answer to anybody else or ask for permission. Permission slip days stopped for me years ago, you know? So I, I'm, I would, and then letting go of the people pleaserness because I was realizing that if you want to be unapologetically yourself, right? If you want to grab things for yourself, sometimes you're going to have to tell people now. Mm-hmm. And it hurt at first, not because it hurt me to say no, it hurt hearing the responses to my no. Mm-hmm. But then I realized in order for me, if I lived unapologetically and, and walk my walk and talk my talk, maybe the people who are so close that are keep pulling on me will learn that they can pull themselves. So it's, it was a, a, a switch. Like one day I kind of woke up and was tired of the thing about people pleasing and nobody tells you, you can do, you can go and bring people the, the stars, the moon, the sand, everything from all the beautiful ends of the universe. And they will forget it as soon as they need something else. That's so real. And if you can't provide it for them, baby, they'll act like it's the end of the world. And I started realizing that was a pattern. Like, and I don't like living in transactional patterns. So I was like, well, dang, what's, what am I giving here? If that's not my truth, I'm a giver, but I don't give to be used. And that's when I, when I realized I was so drained by my people pleasing. I'm, I was like, oh, okay, just say no. And it's like, well, if they say no, they're going to say, uh, then my no's going to get them there. Yes. Because they're gonna either keep moving or they're gonna or they're not. And your yes gonna either look like, all right, she could no from Ashley, but yes from others, or no, you stop, yes is you. Facts. Good gracious. That's that yo, I'll go off on a tangent, but that piece you said, like to, to give but not to be used, that is so hard to learn because we think just because we give and we can't be used because mm-hmm. we want to give, and that's not true. Mm-hmm. I, um but I'm going to kind of switch gears a little bit. I heard you talk about, uh, you know, undergrad, you coming into yourself, the permission slip. Let's tap into the, 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 the you know, as Mon Duke said, doctor. But how was that journey becoming a black doctor and the grind? How was that? And in the mental health space, because there's not a lot of black ladies in the mental health space. So how was it that that grind that hustle to become a doctor and get that accomplishment? I cried so many tears and I drunk so much wine. <laughs> <laughs> It was, it was so rough. Like, Mm -hmm. so, and it was rough for me in ways. Okay. So I've been black all my life. Right. So I know of course, like racism and classism and, um, you know, ableism. I know about all these things and I've experienced them, you know, but it's another 
thing to experience it in an academic level mm-hmm. um when you're in a you're in classrooms with people who have the same motivate well the same motive like I, i'm here to get this so i can do but you mm-hmm. realize they don't have the same motivation and then you realize that you're a threat to people just by breathing like grad school undergrad was a cakewalk for me okay I don't, undergrad was i was at vcu i met all these friends i had some moments that was the first time i realized that my anxiety was really bad but I was around people who it was really diverse. So, you know, we could, we could connect. And I met so many friends that are in my tribe. Now when I went to, uh, when I went to grad school, I swear to white folks. And I was like, what is she doing here? Like it was wild. And I'm like, I don't know. I, I, the first month of grad school, I heard you speak so well, you're so articulate. Did your mom put you in private school? Um, Did you have the special scholarship? Did you plead for affirmative? I'm not exaggerating. Oh, I believe you. Affirmative action. Yes. People would, I have a very eclectic, very me style. Mm -hmm. I would come from work and come to class. People would be like, why are you wearing a fedora? (laughs) Why are you doing this? Oh, she's just here for a fashion show. Da, 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 da. And mm-hmm. I would get up to present and them babies would be shook. <laughs> yeah. Got to. You got to let them know what it is. Yeah, you know, it was always really hard. Like there was one time I was presenting and I stepped off and I started crying. And um, one of Dr. D. Preston Dillon, bless her heart. She was, she's an older white woman. She, she called it like it is. She walked up to me and said, that was one of the best presentations I have ever had since I taught this class. I want to tell you something right now. Don't you ever shake who you are. They don't understand it. They don't get it. But there's clients out here. And then she was speaking this into me and I hadn't even graduated. I, you know, she was like, there's clients out here that are waiting for you. And don't you ever change. And then it happened again. Like I had two or three other women professors, come, clinicians come up to me and see this stuff and be like, don't you ever. You got something that they don't have and it comes naturally and that bothers them. Let them be bothered. For sure. For sure. And that's and, and, and that's why it's so is beautiful to see a, a, a black doctor. And I must go even further to say a woman that's a doctor, because I don't yo, I don't think being in the bit, there's a lot of babies, black and brown, that don't think that's possible, yo. Right. And they don't think they can do it their way. You know what I'm saying? Like even when I was the reason why I could I could um you know, feel what you were saying so much. Cause when I was in grad school, it was the same thing. I'm like, it's like, as soon as you walk through the door, it's like, mm. when my wife was in grad school, when we went to her orientation, I won't say the university, but when we walked in, it was like, wrong. Did y'all take the wrong turn? Or like, I'm like, good, great. The class ain't even started yet. We were like, you be like, what in the gym, crow? Like, <laughs> not, be- I belong here. For sure. And I'm not going to, I don't have to prove myself to anybody. I proved myself enough on paper mm-hmm. to get here. Back and the funny thing about there were so little of us as far as like the my black cohort members, mm-hmm. and a lot of them died off because mm-hmm. one, you can't, it gets to you. You're like, I'm trying mm-hmm. my hardest. And then of course, some people find doing coursework or certain things don't work. 
with their their lifestyle but it would be some people who be like damn is it gonna be like this when we graduate when we we get practices or we're going to work in the professional realm this is a I don't know if I want to deal with this and I had my moment where I cried and I talked to my mom and I was like I don't know if I can I can she said it would be sad if you let <laughs> my mother know how to say stuff if you haven't noticed it would be yeah. so sad if you let them folk run you out of there knowing all you got to give Yo, shout out to mom, bro. She was she be driving some she be driving some deals, bro. Shout out to mom. I feel that though. That's real. That's real. Hey, I'm not gonna let you run me out because at the mm-hmm. same time, I knew that there aren't there aren't in the grams the grand scheme of things. Um, mm-hmm. I try to tell people one percent of the of the um the population identifies as a doctor, right? Mm-hmm. And then in our field, of that one percent, four percent of us are black. so there was a that's a moment where i had to sit and like dang remember that four-year-old girl who longed for someone who saw her you gotta do this for the four-year-old girls the 20-year-old girls the 25 to 30 50 year old men that this long for somebody who understands their experience and i'd be damned if i let somebody who don't know my experience who can't appreciate my experience and is living (laughs) living and breathing and eating studying something that comes to me naturally you gotta be crazy facts so that's what really pushed me through facts and and so so when people know how rare she is with the numbers if you're not a numbers person take the corner of cut the corner of a cake then cut the corner of that corner and that's how many black profession black people you see as a doctor in her profession is what she's saying Cut the corner of a cake and cut the corner of that corner. And that's what we're looking at. I do. So, so with knowing at a young age, mm-hmm. what you wanted to do, mm-hmm. you knocked it out, came natural. When you heard them say, when you graduated and heard them say, Dr. Ashley Elliott, did you have a sense of accomplishment or sense of my work is, this is where I had to get for my work to start? Oh man. So it was kind of mixed emotions for me. Mm-hmm. So I was not allowed to graduate on time with my cohort. Mm-hmm. Um, so at the end, right before I found out I was pregnant um, in my last academic year mm-hmm. of um, my doctoral program. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people don't know that we have a thing called match day when you're um, in clinical programs or residential programs, medical, mental health field. And what this is, is a day where you're competing with other uh, students all over the country to get the internship that you want. And at this time, preparing for a match day, I am heavily pregnant. Um, And my advisor left. He went to another school. So they put him with another advisor, a white woman. And I remember her looking me in my face and said, you're not going to get an internship because who's going to, you know, you have a brand new baby by the time it starts. And sometimes we have to choose. Do we want to be a good psychologist or do we want to be a good mom? And that pissed me off because I knew there were so many other women in this program with and men in this program that were having babies because we're older. We're in our 20s, late 20s, 30s, 40s, some of us. And I never heard them talk to any of the men who were expecting children like that. I never, if anything, it was so much support. But when the women, they would like push us to get married. They would push us to like, 
oh, have your boyfriend or your fiance or your husband take. It was really wild. So I was so stressed out. But I remember going on on my interviews, pregnant as heck, and I got where I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. And I remember um, preparing for my last my last year and before I'm going on an internship. I was like, because you said that you asked this question, and I is flashbacks just hit. And I remember sitting eight and a half months pregnant, and people were like, You're no way you're gonna get interviews. Now I that girl got every single interview that I wanted. I I, I was sitting there, I'm pregnant. People ask because by law, legally, that's discrimination. You can't ask me about my my motherhood, you know. So I'm sitting there and I'm getting asked the most outlandish illegal questions by some of these site workers. <laughs> and I'm just like, yo, this is a lot of work. This is a lot of stress. And then I had my baby, literally called them because I was supposed to start my last class at my internship. I just had my baby. The day I had my baby, they Ooh. said, you got seven days. If you don't report to your class in seven days, we will remove you from your program. And you, when you at year six, that means you got to start over. Wow. And wow. I said, I got seven days, but say less. And it hurt me to my heart to leave my child a week after I had been, she had been born to get to class, to go back to internship after a month. I had to elongate my internship. So all these things, I was so stressed out. I missed my baby's first crawl. I missed her first role. I sold them all through videos that my ex-husband would send because I was always at school. My internship took me 35 to 54 hours a week. So mm. only supposed to be 40. Um, so <laughs> I'm doing all of these things. And then I get to my dissertation and my dissertation chair looks at me and says, right before I have this baby, he says, I'm not going to sign off on your stuff. I said, What? what? He said, and I love him for this. He said, I want you to take time to be a mom. You're going to have this baby and they stress you out this whole time. You can write. You're a writer. Your graduation is graduation. So I graduated six months after the rest of my cohort graduated. Um, But I think it was a line because I graduated on my dad. My dad has been, um, he's no longer with us. He's actually was killed on april 17th 1989 but oh, his yeah. birthday no thank you his birthday was october 10th our graduations are usually in september or november for some reason the cohort graduation was moved when i graduated to october 10th so powerful it was for me powerful. and i remember it was some debacles with everything my whole family didn't show up i was so hurt still hurt um <laughs> And I remember being on the stage and my co my chair, you know, hooding me. Mm-hmm. And I looked out and he he whispered in my ear, Congratulations, doctor. Mm-hmm. And I and it hit me like, you know, because technically I have been Dr. Ashley since March. Cause as soon mm-hmm. as you get your dissertation approved, it was wild. Like my whole story is wild. Like they didn't know who if they was gonna get approved in time. My second reader, she, after he, my dissertation chair passed it to her. He was like, good to go. Let her do it. She was like, I don't know if I have time. And then she texted me in the middle of the night and was like, I started reading it and I didn't put it down. Oh, wow. Here you go. Congratulations, oh, yeah. Dr. Ashley. And I was like, oh. Let them know, Black woman. Get them yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> like it hit me. So like that, that moment, 
I went out drunk so many tequila shots that night. Oh yeah. And then graduation, my daughter was at that time she was almost two, mm-hmm. and I had her sitting, and I took my hat off and put it on her, and I was like, "This was what for." And it wasn't the fact that I was just Dr. Ashley. It was the fact that I had just done this in the face of so much adversity that it was a flex for me. It's it's like, oh, well, I'm Dr. Ashley, but she don't know what I did to be her. Factual. Factual. And and, and that's why people don't understand how you get in this whole argument of arrogance. When, when, When you know and you're comfortable with what you've been through to achieve what you've achieved, you do not allow people to steal that. People hey. have no idea. And, and, and what I always try to tell people is like some, your story is different from my story. Mm-hmm. Our story is different from the next person. You know, it's all different, but like that doesn't change what it took that person to do in order to get that. That's why I hate that we try to like minimize people's accomplishments, even if we view them as small. Like, you know what I mean? Like we, 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 I'm like, no, it's not that it's, an accomplishment that they went through in order to get these things that they went through in order to get this. So I think that is dope. And I think the fact that like you made them eat their words, like you're going yeah, to make me choose. Oh, I'm going to do both. And even though it was a struggle, I'm yeah. going to show you what it is. You know, the most fulfilling thing that happened to me, satisfying thing that happened to me in the last couple months, the end of last month, I had to teach a, uh, a continual education unit course for, um, a specific mental um, hospital, psychiatric hospital in Maryland, but it was, it went out to everybody who was under the Maryland Department of uh, Maryland Department of Health. And I, the moment for me is I'm watching people come into this. It's like hundreds of people come in. One of my old supervisors from when I was pregnant was there, and I, because I know that name. Oh yeah. And I said, oh, the tables have turned. I know that. I'm, I'm teaching you. You yeah. know, and it, 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 it's a moment. I've had so many moments where I've walked up on people or been in the room with people or been in a social media space with people that told me I couldn't and I am doing it or asking me for things, asking me, I'm leaving you on red, but asking <laughs> me for things. And it's just, it's so satisfying that's why I like pour into my children and every little black and brown boy and girl and other that I can because there's always going to be people that tell you you can't and it's because they didn't have the audacity to believe that they could. So, you know, you got to run with run knowing that like, oh, I'm audacious enough to believe it. Mm-hmm. So the audacity is my motivation. And if I'm motivated the motor is in my back. And if the motor is running, my feet are too. Yep. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm in a place where I'm so grateful for everybody who ever spoke a word against me because it makes me feel good every morning when I when you email me and I got to tell you to address me and say, good morning, Dr. Ashley speaking, how am I help you? Factual, factual. So let's kind of, <laughs> to piggyback off that before we close out, let's kind of get into the vision of what you see for your work, like where you're at, the vision of what you see for your work, what you want to leave, you know, how you see your work, uh, you know, evolving, you know, you want to help people, but just the vision for your work, the space you're in and what you like to leave your imprint. You like to leave on the world when you finish with your work one day. Dr. Vivid footprints in the sand. Uh, (laughs) So I've always, I've never seen myself as just a therapist, just a clinician. Um, Mm -hmm. I see, I, I don't see myself boxed in an office. So I, my mission is to make, 
conversations about mental health and wellness normal and to break stigma to shoot up taboo <laughs> and doing that um by having partnerships with you know brands and companies I do a lot of work with um going into companies so I also do mental health and diversity and inclusion because a lot of people don't know that they should be together <laughs> yeah. so doing that work and helping companies um focus on the mental health and well-being of their employees are so doing that creating these children books with my children um you know, I use my social media presence for empowerment, encouragement, enlightenment, motivation, um, inspiration. Uh, so it really, I hate to get ahead of myself, but what God shows me is always small to compare to what he gives me. Hmm. So I really don't know. I just know it's bigger. That's beautiful. Beautiful, I just beautiful. know it's bigger. I'm just helping as many people as I can, passing on as many, you know, tools for coping and healing as I can. If that be by doing therapy, through the books that I write, through the appearances that I have, through the collaborations, through things like this. I don't know, but I am my ancestors' wildest dream. So I'm just going to keep running until God sit me down. <laughs> factual, factual. What can the people connect with this dope energy at? Where can they find you? Oh man, so on my social media, if you wanna hit me up on IG, IG Streets, it's <laughs> at Dr. Vivid B-R-V-I-V-I-D. Okay, if you hit me on Twitter, spelled out Dr. Vivid, you can go to my website, drvivid.com. I'm on TikTok, Dr. Vivid, on my TikTok streets. <laughs> uh, if you wanna listen to the podcast, if you if my voice is actually something that you want to listen to. My podcast is on all your favorite podcast platforms, Vividly Speaking with Dr. Vividly. You never know. I always got a wellness group or something. So just stay tuned. I'm in these, I'm in the little streets. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Appreciate <laughs> you coming through for sure. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I love yes. your energy. Thank, appreciate it. Millennials versus the world's K.Mims, Dr. Ashley Elliott, aka Dr. Vivid. We out. Millennials, yeah.